Um, now, uh, if you recall, a few weeks ago, I was down in Melbourne, and I saw my brother. And, well, two of my brothers, which was really nice. And they took me to a place called, I think it's Third Wave in St. Kilda. And it was a barbecue ribs place. It was really nice. Now, I'm trying to eat better. I'm trying to eat better. And that particular day, the ribs were just like, just like amazing. Have you ever tasted something that you just want to keep on tasting? And like it got to the point where like you picked up a rib and you had pork ribs, you had beef ribs, you had all these ribs and chops and bacon. It was just, it was just meat everywhere. It was like a men's bachelor party for Christians. It was just all meat, no salads. It was absolutely amazing. And so I picked up a rib and you're sort of like, you're just sort of like, wow. And the meat just falls off. That's how good it was. Now, it was terrible because I was trying to refrain because I want to eat better. But it was so good. I had a little bit and I thought, wow, I'd have a bit more. And I had a bit more. And I just kept going. Before I knew it, we were just, I was going for gold. And it, 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 I enjoyed the taste so much that I was even, please don't do this. I was even taking a, taking a mouth. I couldn't eat anymore, but the taste was so good. I would take a bite, chew it, suck out all the juices, and then spit the food out. It was, I know, it's disgusting. It, it's disgusting, but that's just, that's just what it was like. Okay, it's just, just what I was like. So if you have a chance, you know, I, thanks to Frank and everyone. I'm not, I don't do that all the time, okay? Anyway, it's enough about me and my eating habits, okay? But the, 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 reason, the reason why I wanted to sort of associate this thing of tasting something when you want, want more, and while I've probably romanticized the view of that particular meal, that particular time, it did get me thinking. It got me thinking about the flavors that we experience in life today that have taken our attention away from the taste and the goodness of our Lord Jesus. The, the flavors that have influenced us, the entertainments that have consumed us, the standards that have occupied our minds, that have drawn us away or have caught our appetite because we consider them something better or something more valuable or something more precious than the beauty that we have in the gospel. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. You see, today we're going to look at another from 1 Peter as well. I shared with you there were like three setups and three punchlines, three jabs, three hooks. Remember three whips, three nays, whatever it might be. It's sort of like the setup and then, and then the knockdown. And today I want to share with you the third, not so much setup, but the knockdown, the, 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 the punchline. I want to share the taken from second, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. And it's from verses one to three, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus on one of those verses today because that one verse points to the tasting of the Lord's goodness and, and what that means for us now. The, I guess you could say the expectation for us as children of God. So if you'll allow me, I'm gonna open it, what if you'll allow me? I'm gonna open in a word of prayer and then we'll look at the word together and see what God has to challenge us with about tasting of his goodness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much. Thank you so much that we can call on you as our Father, that we can turn to you in whatever stage we're at and seek help in time of need. And I pray this morning that by your Spirit, you'll open the beauty of the Scriptures to us now and reconnect us with you, that you will draw us, that you will draw us to yourself by your Spirit and that we cannot help but just be consumed with the sheer greatness and majesty of who you are. Please help us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, 
I just want to pass on one message as well uh, from uh, Mike Piatangi. Uh, Mike P, head down, bro. Uh, Mike Piatangi, he actually wanted to say hello to everyone. He sent me a message. We were having a chat. Please pray for Mike. Him and his wife uh, in Bendigo, who were actually looking to investigate and do a church plant in an area in Bendigo where a lot of homeless people are, a lot of down and out people are, a lot of people in need. So please pray for Mike and, and his wife and family as they look at setting up over there. He asked me if I could pass that on to you, and I want to do that now. <coughs> Pardon me. Okay, now, if you look at the end of 1 Peter chapter 1, we have this. You see, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 3 is the verse I'm going to look at today, which says this. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the punchline. This is the hook that follows the setup that happens at the end of chapter 1. In chapter 1, verses 23 to 25, we read this. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. We talked about this last week in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, that we were redeemed from this empty way of life, not by perishable seed, but by imperishable seed, by the blood of Christ, the lamb without spot and blemish. Auntie Sue, if she's there, if you could remind me to slow down if I talk too fast, please. Thank you, sister. All right, carrying on. Verse 24, we read, All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. I like this description. The grass withers and the flowers fall. James talks about our life as being like a vapor on a cold morning when you make a breath and you see the mist, how it appears for a little while and vanishes away. This is how our life is described. Grass that withers, flowers and all their beauty that fall. That is what our life is like, and then we read in verse 25, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This word that enables us to be born again, this word that is imperishable and enduring. You have to understand that as Peter writes this, he is addressing believers those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, you who are born again, not of the temporal or perishable things of this world, but according to the enduring word of God. The word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us, according to John chapter 1, verse 14. The word of God that is the power of God unto salvation, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. A word that revives the soul, Psalm 19, 7. The word that sanctifies, because it's John 17, 17. It equips, 2 Timothy 3, 16, and it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. That is the word of God. That's Hebrews 4, 12. The word that is more than just a message, but rather the description of a person. The word, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood was shed for us, redeeming us, as I said before, from the empty way of life that was handed down to us by our ancestors. That's the setup. That's to, to stir our hearts, to understand what has been done for us, who has done it for us, and then what is expected of us in response. 
And that's when we come into the, this particular verse in chapter 2, verse 3. Because then he says, now that, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted of that goodness? Have you tasted of that enduring word that gave his life for you? Have you tasted of the bread of life that wants to work in you the miracle of eternal life in Jesus that gives you sustenance that goes beyond the temporal things of this life? Have you tasted of that? Have you tasted of the living water that flows from those who believe in Jesus as to full to overflowing? Have you, have you tasted of that river from the one who is the way, as Brad said this morning, the truth and the life? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? In Psalm 34 verse 8, David writes this invitation that applies to us today that had just as much relevance to him back then. Psalm 30 verse 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Now, it is of note when he writes this and the context from which he writes this beautiful verse. David's not like chilling in the castle, in the palace. He's not relaxing, enjoying his wealth and enjoying the authority that he has as a king. No, David writes this psalm when he is on the run from his father-in-law. And yet he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's writing this because he's gone and taken refuge in enemy lands. He goes to the Philistines to get away from his father-in-law. And while he's with the Philistines, he's in Gath, actually, which was where Goliath was from. And so he's in Gath, and Abimelech, or Ahimelech, as it's termed in Samuel, sees him and says, hang on a sec, isn't this the guy that is sung about saying Saul calls, killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. Isn't this the guy? And what does David do? David acts insane. He starts being crazy. And then Ahimelech's going, okay, we don't want anything to do with this guy. He's nuts. And so he runs away. And he gets away. And yet he still writes, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm amazed how even in the hardship that he is experiencing, the trials that he's facing, the difficulties that approach him continually, as he feels the pressure of life, of being hunted, of being on the run, he can sit there and see past all of that and say, taste and see. God is good. And I take refuge in him. Therefore, I am blessed. You know why Peter writes this for this particular church or the churches in the scattering? Because they're experiencing intense persecution. You've got a Roman emperor that's going around saying, Let, you find a Christian, you kill them. What does he say? He says, for you have tasted that the Lord is good. Even in your persecution, you can taste and discover God is good. Even in your hardship, you can taste and discover God is good. Even in the difficulties, you can taste and discover that God is good which once again turns me around to ask me myself this question, me, myself, you, and me. Have you tasted? Do you taste? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? And if you have, are you going back for that refilling? 
Are you going back to have a feed? Are you going back to find that satisfaction of being in the goodness of God? Are you going there or have you tasted and have sought to find that elsewhere? Has it gotten you through a hard time and think, thanks Lord, you've done your bit, now I'm gonna see what I can do. Because this is the challenge that is laid out before us. Because if we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then I am given some really cool practical instruction as to what I can then do and how then I can then live. And that is found in the verses one and two of chapter two. Now, before I get to that, see, perhaps a lot of us have, have, have tripped over in our Christian life. Perhaps a lot of us have fallen in our Christian life. Maybe a lot of us have just feeling dry and, and just sort of frustrated in our Christian life, especially when things aren't going our way. Now, perhaps, perhaps, maybe, I'm just, I'm just sort of like brainstorming here, but perhaps, perhaps we're still experiencing a lack of abundance in our lives, a lack of victory in our lives because we have failed to follow through on the instruction that God has given us and how to live victoriously. Does that make sense? Perhaps that's why we have fallen. Perhaps that's why we're dry. Perhaps we have focused on the wrong things to give us a deeper relationship with Jesus. Maybe we have prioritized other things and decided to dabble in other things that have taken us away from Jesus instead of bringing us closer to him. But that's why verse one starts off like this, of, of chapter one. It says, therefore, so because of this, because you are born again, because of the enduring word of the Lord, because of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, he says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Rid yourself of all this. Now remember, he's writing to Christians here. And he's saying to Christians, rid yourselves of all malice. You know what malice is? Malice is the desire to harm someone or to have ill will towards someone. You have wrongful intentions. And you're, and you're willing, have, have you done this? Have you willingly submitted to somebody even more guilt to make them feel worse than they already are? Have you sought to do that? That's called malice. You want a great example of malice? Cain and Abel. Cain acted on his malice toward his brother, which resulted in his death. It's in Genesis 4. So he says, rid yourself of all malice. Now, I'm not saying you go around and kill people, especially your brother. Please don't. But we're told by Jesus that if you hate someone without just cause, you're guilty of murder in your heart. We're told that. We're told that we want to heat people. What my, my, uh, my mentor, Keith Henderson, the Irishman at Bible College, I remember him saying to me, and I've told you this before, he said, Christians are the only soldiers in the world that shoot their own wounded. Which makes perfect sense. If someone's feeling bad, and in all malice, we sit there and think, oh, yeah, I'm going to, you feel bad? I'll make you feel worse. So we're told to rid ourselves of malice. We're told to rid ourselves of deceit, the practice of deceiving others by concealing or misrepresenting the truth. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, when they lied to God about selling their land and then coming back, boom, and they were literally slain in the spirit. You have to rid ourselves of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is really interesting because it comes from the Greek word where we get actors from. 
Okay, it's what, it's what actors, actors are hypocrites. They're pretending to be something they're not. But I had a look at this definition. Have a look at this. It says, claiming to have higher standards or noble beliefs than is the reality. Pretending that you're more morally upright than you actually are. At least thinking to yourself. The Pharisees and the Sadducees of Matthew 13 speak to this. We're told to rid ourselves of envy. Envy is the unhappiness over another's good fortune or blessing coupled with the desire to have that blessing for yourself. Look at King Saul with how his, his attitude towards David. And then we're told to rid ourselves of slander, which is making false statements or damage to a person's reputation. But look, in the verse it says all kinds of slander. I would, I would class in all kinds of slander, gossip. Oh, we love gossip, don't we? We love to be in the know. Hey, did you hear about Jono? He wanted a marathon. He's useless. Naomi, sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, but you, you know what I mean? That's what we do. That's what we do. We, we, find, we, we, we gossip and we find some of the most ridiculous things to gossip about. Why do we gossip? Usually to make ourselves feel better about our particular context. As I said, I want you to be aware that he's speaking to believers here. And as believers, while they have tasted of the Lord's goodness, they are still susceptible to these things, these sinful attitudes, these sinful actions. Even though they are, we are recipients of God's grace, even though we are recipients of God's mercy, even though we have been made new creations in Jesus Christ, that does not exempt us from our responsibility to do this. You know what it says, rid yourselves? It's called repentance. It's called repentance. Not only a change of mind, but a change of mind that results in a change of action, just like it does not exempt us from our responsibility of repentance either. You see, rid yourselves. And the New King James and the King James and a lot of other sort of translations, those two words, rid yourselves, is translated as lay aside. Lay aside. Now, whenever I think of lay aside, I think of this. I think of lay aside, I think, oh, I'm, I'm getting warm here. I'm starting to sweat because I'm a heavy sweater. I'll take off my jacket. I'll take off my jacket, and I will lay it aside. Okay? So here it is. And this is, what, this, this is my idea, and then we lay it aside. We lay aside. That's it. But it's done so with the intention of, okay, now I'm getting cold. I'll put my jacket back on. I like the way the NIV translates it. It says, rid yourselves. Rid yourselves. I'm trying to rid myself of 10 kilos. Okay, that's what, I, I, I'm, I, am, I am now 119 kilos. I haven't been that weight for three years, I think. I've, and now here's the thing. To rid myself, means, rid myself of the extra kilos means that I have to take certain steps in my life. Like I can think about it all I want. I can think, man, I need to lose 10 kilos. You're getting to be a bit of a fatty, Joe. You need to sort some stuff out. And so I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it. My wife says, hey, hun, let's try this. So she gave me this diet, and it sucks. I really don't like it, eh? But I've gotten down to 119.1. I weighed myself this morning. 119.4, from 125 to 119. And I praise God for that, but it didn't happen just because I wanted it to happen. I had to rid myself, which meant I had to take practical steps in the way I ate, in what I ate, and in the discipline of when I ate. So I, in the morning, I have my shake at 6.30. At 10 o'clock, I have an apple. Then at 2 o'clock, I have a fish 
and, and my, my tuna and my rice. Then at about four o'clock, I have a carrot. I know, eh? Oh, shocking. Then, then at 6.30, I'll have a small dinner. But you know what? See, it just doesn't happen though. Like I, I, I couldn't sit there and keep eating the way I eat and think, yeah, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll lose it. No, I won't rid myself of that weight. That's the same attitude I need to have towards my sinful heart, toward the, the sinful conduct. I need to rid myself of things by disciplining my mind and my heart. And I need to direct them to the things of God. Several weeks ago, we talked about those who are children in Christ to have structure. We can talk about being holy is all we want. We can talk about being godly all we want. We can talk about living in righteousness all we want. But unless we put some practical steps in my life, in our lives, nothing's going to change. And we'll always fall short of the, the abundance that God promises us in Jesus Christ. So, to achieve this, this, this aspect of, of intimacy with Jesus, to achieve the, the aspect of living in holiness, well, there are things that you and I need to take responsibility for, that we need to rid ourselves of, whether it be the entertainments that consume all our time, whether it be our computers or our phones, whether it be the attitudes that we have towards brothers and sisters who we don't get along with. Now, bear in mind that it's we don't get along with, not the Spirit of God, it's us. It's our flesh, my flesh, not agreeing with Kenny's flesh, causing the conflict. Not the Spirit of God in Kenny and the Spirit of God in me. It's the, it's the flesh. Then maybe then I need to ask God to change my attitude, but that comes from that effort on my part. Now, when I look and examine myself spiritually, how can I put this? I'm not going to prescribe to you, I'm not going to prescribe to you a solution of ABC for you to achieve holiness. That's not my job. My job is not to sit there and coddle you and walk with you in, 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 in the sense of, oh, hey, yeah, Kenny, Kenny, you don't, don't do this, bro. We shouldn't do this or we shouldn't do that. I'm not saying you don't hold each other accountable. What I'm saying is that you need to go to your Lord. You need to come before him in humility and ask him what he desires to do within your life. Lord, what's affecting my relationship with you? What's preventing me? What sin is in my heart that prevents me from experiencing the closeness of the relationship that you desire? That's, we need to see him. But what I will say is this. If, if you are born again by the enduring word of God, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you have been received of the grace and mercy of God through faith in Christ, then the ability to rid yourself Actually, the capacity to be able to even do that is something that Jesus Christ gives each and every one of us in his Holy Spirit. Because in that freedom, in that capacity, in that ability that he gives you, I read this in that freedom in verse three, sorry, in verse two. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. In other words, feed, crave, desire, seek after something fulfilling that's nutritious, 
that'll meet your need, that is, that is satisfying. You find that in Jesus Christ. And then he says this, you feast on that. You feast on that. Because when you taste and see that the Lord is good, man, you can't help it. You're like me with the meat. You just want to keep going back for more. Keep going back for more. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But it's a great, it's a great passage that, that looks at that whole desire, that whole longing, that whole acting. Because you read, okay, I'll read it to you. I'm going to, I'm going to emphasize certain words. The writer says this in verse 1. My son, if you accept my words and you store up my commands within you. Verse 2. Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, I like this, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. Look at that. You've got the crying out. You've got the, you've got the looking. You've got the applying. You've got the accepting. You've got the turning. It says, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The beauty of this truth is that as you look to be satisfied with Jesus Christ, Ali made mention of today, seek the Lord while he might be found. If you seek after him, if you search for him, you will find him. If you desire to be filled with that which never runs out, that which brings complete fulfillment, you find that in Jesus, you'll never be let down. You'll never walk away and think, I think I'm going to find it better here. No, you won't. Your fulfillment, your purpose, even your very growth is summed up in the person of Christ. There's this change of mindset. There's this right perspective. There's a strong craving, seeking for that which is valuable. And it's then you find your satisfaction with the fear of the Lord. It is then you find your completeness in the knowledge of God. And then your growth, your growth, that growth in your salvation just happens. It just happens. Because what does it mean to grow up in your salvation? It means that we are to grow in our understanding of the relationship we're in, of who saved us and how he saved us. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, it says this, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Because, sorry, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So we, we grow in our understanding of, of who saved us and how he saved us. We grow in our reliance upon him to redeem us. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 13, I, I want you to pay attention. It says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Verse 11, Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous shall live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. But verse 13 is beautiful. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so we grow in our reliance upon him and who hung on the tree for me. We, we grow in our trust as we hold to his promises. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. I'm nearly done. For we know, for we know, this is the one I, 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 hope, I, I got to share this at my dad's funeral. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built with human hands. Verse 2, meanwhile, we groan. We groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly calling. <clears throat> Sorry, heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in by life. That we might grow, and, and so many other promises, so many other verses within the scripture of, of how we grow in our salvation, of faith, of trust, of dependence. But we won't grow in such things if we just dabble in those things. I'm, at the moment, I'm dabbling in playing the guitar and learning. With John O, he, he runs and plays the guitar, and I'm trying to learn how to play the guitar. At the moment, though, I'm just dabbling. And am I doing very well? No, not at all. Not at all. But if we dabble in those things, we won't experience the fullness of the goodness he wants to give. So if this is how we, we live, if, if we have tasted the Lord as good and then to rid ourselves, once again, it's called repentance, to rid ourselves of these things that affect our relationship with him, as we desire to feed upon him and his word and the beauty of all that he is and has given us in the gospel. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, why would you want to dabble in something that is subpar? Why would you want to dabble in, in something that is... Um, Pamela made a, a message to me. Oh, yeah, there's Joseph in the Bible, and then there's Joseph, our pastor. Wow. And I said, yeah, but you got the, the poor man's Joseph. You got the second-hand Joseph. Okay, that, that, and that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So why would I want to dabble in, in what is subpar when the beauty of all that is good that is found in Christ is right there available to us? And what's even worse, he invites us to him. He's the one that says, come to me. See, would you not want to immerse yourself in the beauty that you've discovered? Would you not want to dwell in the presence of the one who loves you? Would you not want to continue to stay connected with the true vine from which life and substance and sustenance and security flows? So when the, the goodness of the Lord tells me this, when the goodness of the Lord tells me this, teach me to number my days that I might gain a heart of wisdom in Psalm 90, verse 12. It has done so for my instruction, for my benefit. When the goodness of the Lord tells me, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord, in, in Isaiah 51, verse 1, then it has done so for my benefit. It has done so for my blessing. 
When the goodness of the Lord tells me, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness in Jeremiah 31.3. It has done so for my assurance, for my security, being the object of his affection. When the goodness of the Lord tells me that the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises everyone he accepts as his son, it has done so for my growing, for my discipline, that I am my father's son. And this, this, what I've just shared with you today, this is but a taste of the goodness we have received in Jesus. A taste that is to make us hungry for more of him. Pastor John and some of the older brothers and sisters would know more about Jesus, would I know? More of his grace to others show? More of his saving fullness, see? More of his love who died for me. That's, that's where we find it. It's to stir us up to be satisfied with no one else, with nothing else other than the person of Jesus Christ. There was a song that I learned many years ago, and I'm gonna read to you a couple of the stanzas. But it says this, the world may try to satisfy all the longings of your soul. You may search the whole world over, but you'll be just as before. You'll never find true satisfaction until you found the Lord, for only Jesus can satisfy the soul. You may have the fame and fortune, all the wealth the world could give, yet you have not Christ within you, you'll be, or can I read that again? But you have not Christ within, your living here would be in vain. There'll come a time when death shall call you, riches will not help you there. For only Jesus can satisfy the soul. I pray that if you have tasted that the Lord is good, that you and I will be stirred within the very depths of our soul to rid ourselves of the very things that prevent us from experiencing the fullness of our relationship with Him. And it may not even be something you consider bad. But I ask you to seek God to reveal that to you. And when He does, be courageous enough. Be courageous enough. Be bold enough to say, okay, Lord, if that's what it is, then that's what I'll do. You gave your all for me. The least I can do is give this up for you. And that's the challenge. Look, guys, taste and see that the Lord is good. And if you have tasted, go back to him for more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, we are just humbled by your greatness. We are humbled by your goodness. And we are thankful that you had come to us to redeem us, to reveal to us the greatness of your love, the greatness and the beauty of your person, the joy of, of knowing you as our Father and as our God. I pray today that if we have tasted of your goodness, and if, if we have seen of your greatness, that you will help us to be focused upon you and upon only you. May we not be easily distracted by the the temporal and the perishable things around us, but find our contentment, our satisfaction, our wholeness, our completeness in you and in you alone. We ask you to dismiss us now. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen.